0: Welcome to the God in My Closet podcast, where we explore life and light of the love who embraces all of our skeletons. I'm your host, Ben DeLong, author of There's a God in My Closet. Thanks so much for joining us today. everybody. Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, Today, I'm really excited. I get to interview my friend Carl Forehand. Um, He and I have been acquainted for a couple months now. Um, We both had our books published about the same time. Uh, We also have um, some similar past experiences. We both went through a seminar called Breakthrough in the Kansas City area, and we have some really good friends coming through that. Um, but I'm excited to get to talk to him today. Thanks so much, Carl, for joining us.
1: You bet. I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah, glad to have you. And, uh, so we're gonna, um, get into Carl's book and talk about his journey. Um, his book is called, um, Apparent Faith What Fatherhood Taught Me About the Father's Heart. Um, and Carl just shares a lot of his journey being a father and how that helped shape how he viewed God and and spirituality. Just a great, great read. Really recommend it to all you guys. And it's uh, published by choir and that's choir with a Q. And um, I've, as I've gotten familiar with your stuff, Carl, and looked into choir, I see there's a lot of good stuff that they're doing lately.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of exciting stuff coming down the pike too. Okay, cool. It's going to be fun. Yeah.
0: Good. Well, uh, well, well, to get started, um, why don't you just share a little bit about yourself and your journey for people that may not be familiar with you.
1: Okay. Um, I was raised in a conservative evangelical household, I guess. My dad, you know, wasn't too engaged in that. My mom took us to church a lot and kind of drug us there and Mm -hmm. made sure we were indoctrinated and so on. (laughs) Uh, We went to a Christian school in junior high around that age and then moved to a a rural area. Um, Mm -hmm. And then um, just kind of, you know, like most people, most kids walked away, didn't have too much to do with church when I went to college. And after college, when I was – thinking about getting back into church and, you know, getting my life in order and those kind of things. And
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I, I had experienced a lot of rejection as a kid and and throughout my life. And so I kind of found the, the, the most familiar type of religion that I could, um, Mm -hmm. and kind of melded back into that and just, just tried to fit in. Yeah. And, uh, so it, you know, that worked pretty well, I guess, until it didn't, but, um, it did work pretty well for a while. I could, <clears throat> you know, very easily go back into that, that lifestyle and that belief system and, and I fit in it. The, um, after, you know, a while, uh, I don't know exactly how long, probably about nine years, I decided that, I wanted to be a pastor and, and a church planter He he's actually the church planter of the year said, um, you know, what you want to do when you go on to plant a church is you want to fit in. You want to, mm. you know, become as much like them as you can and, and mm-hmm. become like them and fit in. So here I am again, you know, I'm finding the, the way to fit in. And, yeah. um, uh, i was I was actually pretty good at it, you know that I could go in a small town and um whatever they were doing, I began doing and became like them and fit into their community and and that made you know made them feel at home and I was able to develop some churches and yeah um several of our churches were real small towns that did really well, you know they they were thriving and built a church in one place and and so on. But after, you know, after about 18, 20 years in ministry and, and you know, some mm-hmm. success, but a lot of also a lot of frustration, mm-hmm. we um, um I, I remember, you know, it's about five years ago from right now. I, I, I would stand up in the pulpit and say, you know, I, I think we ought to entertain the idea that we might be wrong. And if our faith is strong enough, then we should at least entertain the idea that we might be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of years ago that became not just a suspicion, but a kind of a conviction. And yeah. I told Laura, I just can't do this anymore. I, you know, I, I can't keep dancing around the issues. And so, you know, I, I developed a career on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and had some success in ministry, but we just kind of stepped back from a lot of it. And then last fall, I I even stepped down from my job for a little while just to to write the book and kind of chronicle this thing that was going on inside of me, where we're just kind of questioning everything, saying, "Am I wrong? Am I right about this?" And yeah, um, you know, just and and so. Kind of leads us up to this time. I left out some details, but, you know, it leads us up to this time when I've written the book, kind of about my journey through all of that deconstruction or whatever you want to call that. And, yeah. um, you know, it's just, it's been interesting.
0: <clears throat> yeah, so um, what what do you think, um, you said you started wondering, you know, are we right about some of these things? What What do you think um, started that process for you of of questioning those things?
1: Yeah, one of, <clears throat> one of the things that happened was I had raised my children and I um, it was an, kind of an IHOP restaurant that we went to. It was an IHOP restaurant, but we got together with my adult kids and we had breakfast at night and Mm -hmm. just um as i was talking to them i noticed that they were teaching me things Mm. we didn't ever talk politics or religion in my house um as i was a pastor because i you know really just had enough of that during the day (laughs) but um and they didn't want to talk about as teenagers anyhow but but this night we were talking kind of politics and things like that and I realized they were teaching me. And I think they were teaching me about compassion and love and mm. and, and how to treat people which were things I should have known. Mm. And I realized if they were teaching me then I must have become complacent over the years. I must have just let things slip and I was depending on, you know, my certainty and my <clears throat> you know, just just a that idea of I, I know what I believe and I'm set mm-hmm. and I'm good. And yeah. Um, so I realized they were teaching me, they were kind of, uh, the, and, and that convicted me, I think. And so I went back and started looking at my, my life, my ministry, my beliefs, and, and really just started to, to pull the threads and see what, what came loose. Mm. And, um, uh, and, and that's, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of where it began, but yeah, I, uh, we've just, and when I wrote the book, I wrote the book because I didn't want to say that this is my, I've got it all figured out now. It's different, but I got it figured out and I want to convince you. Um, mm-hmm. This is really a journal. The book is really a journal of my journey. Yeah. It's, it's. You know my heart thing, and the the program that both of you both you and I went through was all about that was kind of getting out of your head and getting into your heart mm-hmm. and and that's that's what this book is is a journey of what it felt like mm. to go to go through that deconstruction,
0: yeah, I don't
1: know if I answered your question or not
0: no yeah that was that was really helpful um I know you talk about in your book. Part of your process um, was when you encountered the shack, um, reading it and, and watching the movie, and um, and just Paul Young as a person. And and you talked about um, how pivotal the judgment scene and um, the book and the movie were for you. Can you talk about that scene a little bit and and the impact that it had on you?
1: Yeah. So so Dr. Paul Fitzgerald who. Uh, It's part of Breakthrough Ministries and uh, Breakthrough Seminars. Um, Laura and I met with him also at a kind of an IHOP-like restaurant. I think it was Mm -hmm. called something different. But when we met with them, um, they mentioned that Paul Young was speaking at an event they were kind of hosting. And... Mm -hmm. um, they looked at me, you know. They said, "Have you read?" Of course, you've read The Shack, and like we were the only ones in the world that hasn't read that, <laughs> which is probably true. But uh, we hadn't read it at the time, so later we we got tickets to that event, and we also uh, listened to the audio book for The Shack. Later, I read the book, and then we both watched the movie together. Later, but when mm-hmm. we got to see him in person, also. Read his book or got his book, "Lies We Believe About God." So, mm. yeah, you know, he's very pivotal. And that that scene in the middle of the movie, or I don't I don't know where it is in the movie, but it's it's the big scene for me. is when they're in the cave, and you know, he's Sophia is showing him videos or visions of his children, and saying, "Which one of those children could you punish forever?" Mm. And he says, I can't, I couldn't. And that's, you know, that's kind of one of the thoughts, one of the chapters in the book is, you know, which one of your children could you abandon Yeah. or, you know, uh, turn your back on? And I couldn't, you know, when, when I read that book, that lies we believe about God book, that was the thing. I kept wrestling with those chapters, like, uh, because he kind of does that in his book, kind of like I did in mine. He, he relates it to raising children sometimes. Yeah. And, and I would think about things like that. Can I, could I turn my back on my children? Well, that's the thing I told my children I would never do. Yeah. I, I will never abandon you. I'll never leave you. Um, no matter what you do, I'm, I'm always going to love you and you can always come home. I know, yeah. you know, some people in my parents' generation and some of my friends uh don't say that. But but I as a parent couldn't do that. And and the thing is God can't be worse than me. Hmm. You know, he can't have a worse temper than me. He can't Yeah. You know, he can't he couldn't abandon his children if I can't abandon mine. Not that mm-hmm. I'm great, but I'm I you know, he's gotta be at least better than me.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I th- I think about that um that passage from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus basically says, you know, even even if you guys aren't great parents, you know, you would never do evil things to your kids and obviously God's better than us.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That's right. And I think that's what he was kind of saying there.
0: Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, you bet. Um, you mentioned earlier um kind of you're experiencing a sense of rejection as a kid and and how that continued to be something you struggled with as an adult i'm i'm wondering um your your beliefs that you had before this process um where god seemed maybe more hateful or had a really bad temper did that how did that affect your sense of rejection did did that maybe cause it in some points or make it worse
1: yeah, I think, you know, I think a pivotal thing for me was when I was seven years old. Uh, it's when I quote unquote got saved. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember for the first, I remember it pretty vividly. I remember for the first time hearing what the pastor was saying. It was just me and my mom in church for some reason. Um, uh. And so I remember the pastor I don't remember his exact message, but I remember getting that impression that, that I'm rejected by God. God's turned mm. his back on me because of my sin. And I I tried to think back on that and think, you know, how bad could I have been mm. at seven years old? You know, yeah. I I didn't know how to lust yet. I I didn't know how to steal. I learned that later in Christian school. You know, I, yeah. I didn't know how to steal. I, I didn't know how to cuss yet. I, you know, I, I don't think I even lied much. I was so timid Yeah. when I was a little boy. I, 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 you know, I was afraid to do anything really. Yeah. And so maybe I coveted my neighbor's toys, you know, or something like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Certainly not his wife. Um, but <laughs> Um, what could I have done wrong, you know? And, and then, so, so when you're in, you still, though, you're still guilted and convicted into doing some kind of transaction as a young person. But then, but then as you go throughout your life, you learn how to do worse things, right? I mean, I, I, you know, I remember at, at Christian school in junior high, looking at Charlie's angels in the bathroom, you know? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the lost and, and, you know, stealing and lying. And yeah, I used to be a, like a world champion, uh, dirt clawed thrower, you know? And I, I, I remember at, at school and at home, um, just terrorizing some people, you know, Yeah, and, and we smoked, you know, we, we did all kinds of things we learn how to do all and so you, you know, then you get further down the road and think, man, that God must really hate me now, you know? Yeah. If he turned his back on me when I was seven, I really didn't do anything then, but he, he must really hate me now. And, and so, yeah, it had a big impact on me that, that as you, you know, from going through the program we went through, um, it just builds up a lot of shame. And oh, yeah. And you're supposedly delivered, and you know, salvation means delivered, so you're supposedly delivered, but you just live with a lot of shame because of your religion, really more than reality. Yeah. Does that make any sense at all?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I I remember um, the last time I, I met with my spiritual director, and we were just talking about just – a lot of the journey that I went through and kind of recognizing a lot of the lies that I've believed in and all that stuff. I, I just told him, I was like, I, I feel like I just woke up from a bad dream.
2: <laughs> hmm. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really, um I really like what you talked about there. I think you made a good point that when we um we try to sort of control kids behavior and and of course i mean we have to direct them you know there's appropriate times for that but we kind of try to control people in religious settings sometimes and then we you know tell kids like you talked about when you're kids you you haven't really done anything but you're still told when you're bad god's really going to be angry at you or he's going to turn his back on you, you. And then you have that yeah. whole view of God set up. And then when you get older and you actually do start making bad choices, because we all do, then you're like, man, he must really hate me now.
1: Yeah, and you you made a, it's a good word, control. It's fear and control. And we think, well, God's in control. That's one of the things I used to think. And mm-hmm. I even told my boss that. And he was real thankful that I had told him God's in control. And I said, the trouble is it may not be true. because. Really, it doesn't. It's not effective when we try to control things. Yeah, and control is based on fear. I remember my daughters in junior high and high school used to say, um, "Dad, you know, stop." And I say what? I said I'm just trying to help, mm-hmm. and they said you're not helping. And they'd say you're not helping because you're trying to control us, and. It's not helping. We yeah. we wanna figure this out ourselves and we're we're trying to mature, you know, I think mm. was what they're trying to tell me. Yeah. We're trying to control you know, and you're trying to control us maybe maybe that's appropriate when you're when you can't do things for yourself and so on. But mm-hmm. I I kinda came to the point where I realized that when I'm trying to control it's because I'm afraid. Mm. And when and and God can't God does not control us because God's not afraid. Yeah. He, he doesn't have to, right? Yeah. Um He he trusts in the relationship. And I think that's what we learn to do as parents. Eventually I mean it's hard, but e yeah. eventually we kind of learn to trust each other and encourage each other and some things like that instead of trying to control each other. Uh yeah. same thing probably in a marriage, right? You know, oh, yeah. in a marriage, it's better. Yeah. It's, you know, you can try to control each other for a while, but it's just not going to work out.
0: Yeah. Mm.
1: I may have gone off track there a little bit. Sorry. <laughs> no,
0: it's all good. It's good stuff. Yeah, and I think about too, um, you know, we try to control kids and we use that word shame. Like we end up building up shaming kids and how God's, turn their back on them and then when we get older either that shame builds and builds or at some point we just get tired of the shame and we're just like we're done with it but if we think that's how God operates then we have to make a decision <laughs> are are we still going to mm-hmm. operate in that world of shame and i remember when when i was struggling through a lot of this and trying to decide what what direction i need to go in i was going to this college and this guy pulled me aside to talk to me about jesus and i I didn't tell him that I had been in school for ministry because I thought it would be more interesting that way. <laughs> and uh,
2: mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, he
0: was, and he was just telling me, you know, like, well, the whole thing is that God, God is angry with you and he hates you and he can't stand you because of your sin. But if you do such and such, you know, say the right prayer or whatever, then he'll be happy with you. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, wait, wow. why would I want to be close to God if he doesn't like me?
1: <laughs> That's right. Yeah. He has a worse temper than me. Hey. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Hmm. So God's, you know, I, the, the very first chapter I wrote was, you know, God's disposition towards us, but then the third or fourth chapter was what is God like? Mm-hmm. So, you know, God's either like Santa Claus, right? Who's, Making a list, checking it twice, going to find mm-hmm. out who's naughty or nice, and then he's going to reward you for that. Yeah. Of course, it's still not fair because the rich kids still get something when they're bad, and the poor kids might not get anything even if they're good. So mm-hmm. it's, it's still not fair, but but at least he's going to reward you, you know, to some degree. Yeah. But then also, there's that Zeus view of God that he's angry and retributive and mm. he can't wait to punish you because he's just so holy that he's got to punish you. And, and he's, you know, actually you're hiding behind his son, you know, cause he's going to punish his son to keep, you know, and, uh, and all of that just, you know, kind of falls by the wayside after a while. What is, you, you know, know. What is God, and and for me, it cleared up when I said, "What is God really like? What God is really like, Jesus." Yeah, um, and that's what it says in the New Testament that He's exactly like Jesus. He always has been like Jesus, and, mm-hmm. and that really changes a lot of that view, right? Um, oh yeah, and and I you know I sorted that out through my kids. You know, it it didn't really ever pay off. For me to be Santa Claus to my kids, mm. right? I yeah. mean, sometimes I had to give them things they didn't deserve. And and sometimes I had to withhold things that they really, you know, kind of earned, you mm. know, um, it really wasn't a Santa Claus kind of thing, but it also wasn't a Zeus thing that I, I couldn't, you know, I, I had to eventually be more restorative than retributive. Mm-hmm. Or or it wasn't going to work, and and I think, and I got to think God's already got that figured out—that He's more yeah. like what I should be than what I am. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, that's really good.
2: Okay. Um, in
0: in your book, you um, you make a point, and and you and you mention this too that um, you don't you don't use a ton of scripture references in your book, and um and i know i know you have different reasons for that but i i think one of your reasons was that um that you wanted to you wanted to value your own experience and acknowledge that god teaches us through that and and then maybe help others to to recognize where god's speaking in their lives that is beyond just scripture mm-hmm. um can can you speak to that a little bit
1: yeah i so um in my tradition that i came from was a guy named henry blackaby who wrote experiencing god and um henry said that god speaks not just through the bible but he also speaks through experience and he speaks through um the church he speaks through other people uh, and so on and i you know in that tradition he was considered like a real mystic you know <laughs> Even though I was in Blackaby's program for spiritual direction or spiritual leadership coaching, and one of my friends kind of ratted me out like he's changing his beliefs. I don't know if we can (laughs) keep him in this program, but, um, you know, so, but, but Henry Blackaby at least kind of introduced me to that idea that, yeah. You know, if we're going to take a literal, flat view of Scripture and just interpret it straight, you know, uh, we got a lot of problems. You know, not only do we kind of develop a certainty that wow, the Bible's right, and the Bible becomes an idol, but um, it 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 also creates a lot of problems for us. And my my current pastor, who I've been with for a couple years that I've kind of studied under for, is Brian Zahn, and he says the Bible is a soil out of which our faith grows. Mm-hmm. And I think he gets that from Walter Brueggemann who says it's really compost, right? It's the yeah. compost out of which our faith grows, you know, it's the, yeah. you know, and, and I finally came to a point where I just kind of, kind of saw the scripture as um, this is the story by man of God, not mm-hmm. by God of man. Um, but it's, it's by man of, you know, about God. And so it's the story of God's people. And they told it as they remembered it. Um, and as they saw it, you know, yeah. and, and that's all, that's what it is. And yeah. so, yeah, there's a story of Jesus and those, those, those stories that Jesus told are so powerful. Uh, yeah. and so, so life-changing and so there's so much good there um but it's also not you know i just interviewed pete pete Ann's a couple of weeks ago and i said mm. you know we talked about if it's a rule book then it's a lousy rule book you know <laughs> yeah. there's so many contradictions and there's so many things that just aren't you know probably aren't right um, but that doesn't change the fact that it's valuable yeah. Right, and that that it can change our lives, and and, and that, that our faith grows out of it, and that Jesus is still this compelling figure that I can't get away from, no matter how hard I try. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but but I'm not going to write a book and and put my Bible verses in there so someone could come along and write a review on Amazon with their verses and um. <laughs> it's it's just, that's not what I'm about anymore. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. Ben, that started a long time ago. It started 20, 25 years ago when my pastor told me, you know, you've got to decide how you feel about uh, impeccability, impeccability, whether Christ could have sinned or Christ couldn't have sinned. And so I set out to determine, you know, what are my verses and how can I prove that god couldn't christ couldn't have sinned and before i knew it i was trying to convince my friends you know yeah. of which view is right and uh you know that yeah. that just started a long unending chain of events and i i just don't want to do that anymore you know yeah um yeah i you know, I believe in God. I'm compelled by Christ. I, I, I want to follow the way of Christ, um, you know, but I also find some truth in other places other yeah. than just the Bible. And what you're getting to is I can tr- I can also trust my experience, that my experience, that's what the whole book's about. My whole yeah. experience as a father taught me so much about God. And it was only when I kind of slowed down and went back and and reflected on that that I understood how um, how life changing that was, you know, and yeah. how revealing my experiences were. Um, my tradition would say you can't trust your experiences, but I, I beg to differ now. <laughs> yeah, you know,
2: yeah. I
1: I beg to differ that there there is. You know our experience, our wit. You know, I think PDMs would say that that's that's wisdom, right? That's the goal of the Bible, anyhow.
2: Yeah, is to build
1: wisdom, yeah. and wisdom is only built through the experience. Nice to say that. They say you, know, you have knowledge, um, but then knowledge comes, uh, wisdom comes with experience. So anyway, mm-hmm. I think I finally well, got around to your question. Right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, and, um, I think with that that whole idea that well we can only find truth in scripture it it makes us um i mean there's a lot of ramifications for that it it makes us not trust ourselves when God's speaking
2: mm-hmm.
0: um to us it um mm-hmm. i mean there, there's so many people and I, and I know for myself like there were so many times where I just had this divine intuition. Um, you know, Christ in me, that I didn't think I could trust because, well, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't say that exactly in scripture, and, and it just, um, it just really hampers that ability to to hear God speaking inside you.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's right.
0: And I think that I also we were when we were talking about control. I I think that it's part of our hesitancy. To listen to our experience because i i think of you know my my wife just has such powerful intuition and um and she's right almost all the time when it comes to that and that used to drive me nuts because Mm -hmm. i couldn't i couldn't understand it and um Mm -hmm. and our intuition from from god you know him speaking within us it's hard to understand that but you when you really start to trust that there there's so much more like you talked mm-hmm. about coming from that, yeah,
1: yeah, and don't you think that's because uh women generally operate from their heart you yeah know? and yeah. and we're we're all up in our heads, we're we're thinking and reasoning and we want logic and scripture and something concrete and um I think. You know, our wives are—they're in their hearts. They—they they start there, you know. Yeah, and and that's—I think that's where the intuition comes from.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it seems like—I don't know—it—it it does seem like it's easier for them to get from their heart to their head than for us from our head to our heart.
1: <laughs> yeah, amen. Yeah. That's right.
2: It's <laughs> um, good.
0: Yeah. So I was going to ask you also, sorry, I have these notes here and my phone went black. <laughs> That's okay. Good. Um, so uh, you've, you've talked about just how much parenting um, really impacted your view of God and your view of spirituality. And um, I was wondering just what are some speci- specific ways that, your journey as a parent and and what your kids have taught you how how they've expanded your concept of spirituality
1: um
2: i think
1: um you know one of the biggest things i think is that they just um expanded that by being you know, they I think they taught me to be open.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know? Um uh you know you worry uh I think we worry about our children, right? Mm-hmm. We worry about what they're gonna be exposed to and what they're um I wrote a chapter in the book called All the Millennials. It was from mm-hmm. a blog that I wrote about originally. But, you know, my, I remember my daughter, Lily. Um, my daughter's like, Lily's like a genius. I mean, hmm. she has an almost an eidetic memory. She's, um, she used huge words when she was like three. <laughs> um, she's always been like, you know, real intuitive and real just talk to me like an adult when she was a teenager and it pissed me off, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, but she,
2: um, you know, I I think um, they, they just taught me to be open hmm. and to,
1: to consider um different alternatives
2: you know um yeah. that um i you know I, I
1: remember her doing a her she was valedictorian of course but <laughs> um she i remember doing a graduation speech and 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 she said what she said basically in that graduation that uh, not the the valedictorian speech. She she basically got in trouble for what she wrote, and they told her not to say it, and she still said it. You know, <laughs> and they, uh and she has a tattoo that says "I took the road less traveled" mm. on her on her forearm, and but she base um, she basically said this. This is what I'm trying to say. She basically said. Uh, and what she would say, she'd like, listen to a podcast. We'd talk for a while and she'd basically say, I don't know. Hmm. You know, and, and I, that's what amazes me about the millennials. They'll listen to a podcast. that's an hour and a half long. And at the end of the podcast, they'll all go, eh, I don't know. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's something my generation like thinks is crazy. Mm. You know, because we want to be at the end of the discussion. We want to go, yes, this is what we believe and this is what we think. And this is why we think it. And we have our certainty and we're going to go on down the road. We're perfectly fine. But, but millennials have the ability to say, I don't know. know, And that's okay. Yeah. And, you know, I've. I've been on a couple of podcasts recently and that's that's the thing that I remember saying to to all of them is I've learned to be okay with uncertainty. Mm. And I, that's largely because of my kids. That that they say, you know, we we've got some things figured out. We feel strongly about some things, we we feel this way, we'll tell you what we feel, we'll tell you what we believe, but some of the things we don't know and that's okay. Mm. It's all right. You know, it's all right to to have a little uncertainty. And, and you and I would know now maybe some of that's called, um, you know, instead of both, uh, instead of either or, it's both and. You know, mm-hmm. it's some ambiguity. Uh, I don't know what, what uh, word you would use. But non-dual. Um, you know, some... Uh, that's that's mind blowing to me, Ben. Mm. That I'm kind of at the tail end of the baby boomers, and it's it's just mind blowing to me that I can um, be comfortable with uncertainty. Mm. <laughs> it's weird, and <laughs> but you know, I think that's that's what raising my children and, and going through that process did for me is, is to say you know we can be a little uncertain but that doesn't mean that we haven't found truth it's just that we yeah. don't fully understand it yet right
2: yeah mm. that's good
0: um so um one of the reasons that i wanted to do this this podcast was just i, I know a huge part of my journey was um just people helping me learn, um, how to accept that, that God accepts me just as I am with all of my skeletons, with all of my crap that, um, that none of that makes him squirm. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. he accepts me just as I am and really accepts me unconditionally. So what, Mm -hmm. what would you say to someone who, um, struggles to get to that point to, to know that they really are unconditionally accepted.
1: Hmm. Last night we did a contemplative gathering at um, the church across the street. We've been uh, for about two years traveling about 60 miles to Brian Zahn's church, Word of Life. hmm and they're they're developing some contemplative ministries and so on. And um, we just walked about sixty feet, <laughs> literally, instead of mm-hmm. sixty miles, um, to my friend Pastor Donna's church across the street. It's a Methodist church, by the way. Um, and we did this little contemplative prayer, centering prayer kind of thing, and. Um last night we said the mantra was you're loved you've always been loved
2: and you always will be loved. Hmm. Um
1: I I just don't you know I I think one of the chapters in the book was about um the love of god. The love of god is not based on what we've done mm-hmm. um, it's not based on who who we are, you know positionally, where you came yeah. from, what country you're from, whether you're from a shithole country or not you know yeah um god um we we are we are genuinely and completely loved we've always been loved we always will be loved um man if jesus had a had a worn out record you know yeah that he said it was about how much we were loved right mm. when i left the when i left the church that i stepped down from a couple of years ago um one of the instigators that followed me was uh, a legalist mm-hmm. and he said, you know, he he didn't really like what I did. Yeah. Um but he he um said, you know, we need a we need a pastor that has less grace. Wow. And I thought how do we how do we ever get there? Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. How how do, how do we ever get to that point um where it's not, you know, if Jesus had a broken record it was uh love God, love your neighbor, love each other. Gr- you know, grace, mercy, forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> not not control everything and be afraid and and you know, I, yeah. I, I still, I, you know, I, I hate to talk about something that's current, but you know, I heard a a gospel quartet recently, and the guy just keeps kept saying over and over, even though we don't deserve it, even though we don't deserve it, even though we don't deserve it, even though we don't deserve it. And he just said it probably ten times. Mm. You know. What a worm am I, you know, from the old songs. Mm. Man, man, um if God is real, if God is who he says he is and God loves you, God has always loved you and God always will love you. I I you know I've deconstructed a lot of my beliefs. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's my thing, but um the one The one thing I'm hanging on to is, you know, that's kind of what the book's about that God must love me like I love my children. Mm. If I can love them with an everlasting love, then God must love me also. Mm. At least, at least, you know, a smidge better than that. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But definitely not worse. He's definitely not retributive, he's definitely not uh out to get me. He's definitely not uh worse than me, yeah, right
2: yeah mm.
0: yeah, and if I can paraphrase part of what you were saying there that god maybe God doesn't love us in spite of us or despite of us, but maybe he loves us because he sees something else that we can't see.
1: Yeah. Amen. That's really good.
2: Yeah. That's good. Amen. Well, mm.
0: Carl, I'm just so thankful wow. for you. You are my uh, first guest on this, um, on this podcast. And we've, uh, wrestled through some technical issues. And I'm just so thankful for your, uh, just help me walk through this a little bit and your patience and just really appreciate you.
1: Mm. Yeah, man. It's, <laughs> it's been a journey, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Over a couple of days, I had a lot of technical issues. I, I, man, I pray that it doesn't discourage you from continuing on. It's, it's usually not this hard. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, um, yeah, so thankful for you, Carl. Um, If you guys haven't um, gotten a chance to check out his book yet, please do that. Uh, Apparent Faith, What Fatherhood Taught Me About the Father's Heart. Um, Just such, I mean, if you got anything from this episode, you're going to love the book. Um, Carl, where can um, people find you or maybe interact with you um, to what you're working on and all that?
1: Yeah, all of my, all of my blogs and podcasts come through carl'scoaching.com is Carl with a K. Um, They go out, if they're podcasts, they go out to iTunes and Google and all those different servers. So, um, if, if you just search for Carl with a K, Carl's Coaching, you'll find the podcasts out there. And I, you know, I, Ben's doing a good, thing here you probably have a great podcast but i i just interview people that i like to talk to so that i want to talk to um and then the book is car is apparent faith what fatherhood taught me about the father's heart and it's everywhere where books are sold whatever that means yeah <laughs> and um i we do there's a couple of places where i hang out um water to wine on the Mm. on facebook on the facebook uh (laughs) water to wine on facebook i it's just a good place it's a pretty safe place it does have a little bit of politics in it but my new group which used to be carl's coaching is called desert sanctuary and the desert sanctuary is an even safer place because we don't talk about politics at all Yeah. And it's, it's a little more inspirational and, and stuff like that. Um, Carl's coaching is, is, you know, I have some credentials and stuff to, to coach people, but I, you know, I find mostly what I do is send people to resources and, you know, try to provide them with good information. So, but yeah, I'd love for you to check out the book. The book is not a, doctrinal, educational kind of thing. It's a heart thing. Yeah. You'll, I think you'll be blessed by reading it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. All right. Well, thanks so much, Carl. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.
1: All right, man. Thanks.
0: Well, how's that for a first interview? Um, So many great insights, so many great points that Carl um, brought to us there. Um, just love the, the main message of his book that, um, if we love our kids the way that we do with just an unconditional love, well, of course, God's gonna be at least as good as us, but he should be better than us. And, and he is. He, he loves us with an everlasting love. Um, uh, just so many, so many great points there. I love Carl talking about, um, just learning to, trust our intuition learning to um hear God speak to us in the many different ways that he does. And so many times through our own life experience. And um that last thing that we talked about, just God's love for us that it he's always loved us. He always will love us. And it's not this whole, as Carl brought out, it's not this whole, well, because even though I don't deserve it and even though I'm a worm as you know some of the old hymns say it's not about that; it's God loves us because He knows us and and as we we put it there at the end, God's love for us is not in spite of us or despite of us. God loves us because He knows us and and maybe at this point in time He knows something that we don't know maybe we we haven't recognized that goodness in us that He um created in us. Maybe we don't recognize that, but He loves us because He knows us that I just think that point there, that message there can just be so healing. I, I know it's been healing for me, and and I hope um, people will find um, encouragement and some hope in, in this interview with Carl and just the great um, things that he brought to us in this interview. So be sure to check out his book, Apparent Faith, What Fatherhood Taught Me About the Father's Heart. Uh, my book is uh, out on paperback it's also available on Kindle for those who like to read on Kindle you know i I still love holding onto a physical book, but I also love having the Kindle so I can carry my library with me so however you like to do that the book is there and and hopefully it'll be um it'll be helpful to to those who read it um i uh I have a website long dot com um, I'm on Facebook. I have an author page there. If you want to reach out, just have questions or maybe you are trying to, um, work on that journey of knowing that you are loved by God and, and looking for what healing could look like from that, um, uh, feel free to reach out. Um, and then definitely check out those communities on Facebook that Carl mentioned, the watered wine and the desert sanctuary. Those are great resources for that. Um, again, thanks so much for joining us and for listening and, um, just remind you again, nothing in the world can separate you from the love of Christ and you are in him and he is in you. Take care.